Welcome to episode four of the Berean Bible Prophecy Podcast. I'm going to cover a lot of different things in this episode, and so I would entitle this uh, conversation as, Where Are We Now? Because I want to touch upon a lot of different questions and things that are going to lead to episode five, which I believe I will lean in towards calling observations and questions. I want to draw you back to episode one, where we talked about being willing to go where the truth leads us, no matter what our current doctrine or belief is, no matter how strongly held. In this case, the context of facts being the most logical reading of Scripture and multiple Scripture, not just one and not just reading between the lines, but multiple Scriptures that show a clear path in a certain direction. We have to go that direction. And uh, that's where we need to settle until we gain more light and information and guidance from the Holy Spirit in order to refresh the picture before us. And the picture we're talking about are an end times template. And that's kind of what we're looking at these because we are continually encouraged by Scripture to be watchful, don't fall asleep, uh, either directly or through parables. We see the lesson of do not fall asleep. Be watchful. In my digging for this episode, I actually saw, I believe in Mark 13, 9, Mark uses the phrase, be on your guard. And this is the NASB. Be on your guard. And that word guard in the Strong's is used, it's translated as see. At least that's some of the cases that I'm seeing in the context of how it's used. Uh, or beware. It's all under a Do not be deceived. Be aware. Be watchful. See things for as they truly are. As far as I can see, I think Mark's the only one who who makes that statement. Interesting sidetrack. What I wanted to start with are birth pangs. Have they started? Have they not? We really can't be sure. But last episode, we talked about lawlessness. We don't know if this is a gradual leading up to what Jesus was warning his disciples about, or if this is not at all, and that there is some other great event that we will see that that marks lawlessness. But I think we can all agree we are seeing a an intensity in disorder, chaos, lawlessness, and violence, for sure. Under birth pangs, There is not a better word that describes what we currently see right now. Looking at Mark 13, Luke 21, Matthew 24, the descriptions that we see of birth pangs, we see uh, a warning to do not be deceived. And in this context, we can assume it's a religious context. Don't be deceived by who others say Jesus is or It's phrased in different ways. Many will come in my name. We we see the mention of false Christ and Christ saying, do not follow them. Don't go out to the desert if if they say they're out there. A lot of confusion around the truth of the gospel and the Messiah that is coming our way. There have been some in the past, but I don't believe we've seen the uh, parade of false Christ that we are Uh, might possibly see in our future. Uh, There's rumors of wars, wars, nation versus nation, kingdom against kingdom, 
in the great, it might even be tribe versus tribe, uh, but evidently a lot of skirmishes on the light side all the way to full out war on the other end of the spectrum. And we are certainly, we've seen that for a hundred years. I'm assuming like birth pangs, we will see the intensity of those things increase. Let me back up. For those of you who have never noticed the overlay in the Gospels, I want to make you aware that Mark 13, this conversation, the Olivet Discourse, is represented in Mark 13, Matthew 24, and Luke 21. It's an incredible capturing of this conversation between Jesus and the disciples about the end of the age or signs of the end of the age and what is to come. What is incredible about it is it is similar to seeing a news event on three different news channels and seeing the different coverage because you see things, you see the same content stated in different ways and uh, but in general, it's all in the same order. So you just see it, it increases the authenticity of this conversation exponentially because uh, you'll see one author mention uh, one little tidbit and another brings another bit of information, but all three capture the essence of the conversation, earthquakes, famines, war and rumor of war, do not be deceived, Uh, be on your guard, be watchful, there'll be betrayal, they will arrest you and hand you over to the courts and synagogues and on and on, the abomination of desolation. It is a fascinating read. And then the icing on the cake is that these three areas in the gospel are paralleled in Revelation 6, where we see the seals 1 through 6, maybe all 7 there. You can overlay the seals across these three conversations, that the single conversation in the three areas, and it gives you an idea of the starting point within the conversation of where each seal is in Revelation 6. And it also helps to guide you through the conversation where Jesus might jump back or forward in time, at least regarding the sequential nature of the seals. I don't think we can make a judgment on the trumpets and bowls being absolutely sequential. I mean, certainly trumpet one is going to precede trumpet two, and likewise the vials or bowls, but whether I've, I've seen great cases laid out in opposing arguments as to they're all sequential. No, they aren't. They're, there's been very smart, well-meaning, dedicated people study this out and present their case. And all of it seems logical. All of it. I don't know that we'll be able to completely see this until we, we see more coming our way. Back to birth pangs, there is not a greater phrase that could have been used by Jesus in describing what he says is coming. And I think what we are already beginning to taste in that birth pangs, they start out slow and less painful, and they grow more frequent, and the intensity of the pain grows. But all along, there's 
short spans of peace or rest or lack of activity. And I think we could all agree, and this is what is so fascinating to me, we can look at even the lawlessness and we will see spells of active shooters and riots and and then it'll 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 just increase and then it'll fade out and we won't see or hear anything for you know a couple of months and then it comes back at an even greater intensity step function where it just ramps up immediately and persists for a while and then drops back down and then the next time it comes up and stays longer it's higher and more fierce that to me is there's not a better more perfect description that Christ gave than a birth pang and we are i think we can judge what we're seeing based on that activity of whatever it is violence earthquakes famine uh, everything else that has been uh, listed that is the exact behavior that we're seeing moving on another thing that caught my eye as I was reading through Mark 13 and Luke 21, Matthew 24. In Mark 13.10, I'll start at Mark 13.9, but be on your guard for they will deliver you to the courts and you will be flogged in the synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. In 13.10, the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. Now, I haven't gone into the Greek to see if the word the is actually there. And the reason I want to make that point is let me go to Matthew 24 and see where that is. There was a certain phrase that I was looking for. Okay. Matthew 24, 11. We'll start. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Now get this, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. In 24.14, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. As Bereans, we need to recognize there is a gospel of the kingdom and a gospel of Christ. There's a separation, an absolute separation, that cannot be reconciled between Paul and all of the disciples. The disciples were preaching a gospel of the kingdom, or or carrying out that message, the gospel of the kingdom, whereas Paul was to the nations and had a completely irreconcilable message with the other gospel. And Paul even said, there's another gospel, but there isn't really. And I take that to be that the gospel of grace that we now live in is the gospel that we are to respond to. But I just found it curious that 2414 said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached. Well, there's no reference above that. And again, we need to go to, we need to go to the Greek in order to confirm this. And I'll do that. The phrase This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world. The phrase this gospel is referring to something preceding that sentence there. The sentence right before it is, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. 
the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. That certainly isn't the message of repent, confess your sins, be baptized, believe in Christ, whatever variation the church is teaching today or Christianity is teaching today. It's a different gospel. If this if this is considered a gospel, now I'm, hear me, I'm not saying that there is any other way to Christ. Christ has done it all. He, his, his work has been completed at the cross. There is no other, there is no other way except through Christ, the only way, the truth and the life. We all know that. I believe we have to really pay attention closely whenever we see distinctions like this in scripture. And Jesus He says a lot of stuff that uh, somebody will ask him a question and he gives them an answer that is just out of left field. I believe those are the areas that we really need to jump in and dig and find out what is hidden there. And there are a lot of cases where he just doesn't give the answer. If that next sentence that Jesus gave were left blank, Christianity would fill it in with a different answer. And it's obviously wrong because Jesus gives you some some answer that we just basically we just ignore because it doesn't make sense to us. Uh, I won't get sidetracked there, but uh, maybe we'll we'll identify some of those in a future episode. I'll I'll move on uh, to this is a shadowing back to episode one about where do we go with new information, the truth. Uh, We have to go there until we find a better answer. We can't just stay with whatever somebody wrote in a book 30 years ago or some guy who's never changed his position on anything. Obvious sign he's not studying anything out uh, because we we all know we see increasing light year after year. So I'm going to throw some things out, and a lot of people, they do not like to hear this or consider these things because it upsets their uh, traditions, but I will put notes in this episode so that you can, or you can just go on YouTube and search the content yourself and verify it for yourself. You must do these things. It's the only way it takes its place in your heart and seals the deal. Number one item, the Temple Mount location. The Temple Mount in the context of Christianity today and Israel today is that humongous stone structure that the Muslims have, and I don't even know who owns what part of it anymore, but there's the mosque is on that Temple Mount using their terms, and there's this continual struggle and tension that Christianity and Israel are a threat to take back the Temple Mount because it's a sacred place and all that. I I want to make you aware, because I was only aware of this uh, two or three years ago, but through Bob Cornuke appearing in the Koinonia Institute videos when Chuck Missler was still around, he passed about a year ago, Bob Cornuke did a very good job of bringing back information that Ernest L. Martin had originally put together evidence that the Temple Mount as we know it is not the temple location that we should be looking for. Ernest L. Martin has a book. I've got it, and it it's a good book. I believe Bob Cornuke presents the information in a better way. And for me, he has a book as well, but he also presents it in uh, 
video interviews on YouTube, and many others use his material and present it sometimes even better than Bob Cornuke, but they present the information that clearly shows that the Temple Mount, as we know it, is not where the old temple was. Based in scripture, how we would know this is the case is that the old temple was in the city of David. The Temple Mount is not in the city of David. The temple, the temple required fresh running water for sacrifices. The Temple Mount, as we know it, has never had fresh running water. There's no water near it that could be used. One of the biggest logical reasons to discount the current Temple Mount as being the true temple location is the fact that it makes Jesus a liar when he says that no stone will be left on top of another. No stone will be left on top of, the, of another. Those That Temple Mount has some of the largest stones in the world. We all just, you know, I know for my whole life, 56, uh, I just kind of ignored that. Like, well, you know, it's the base. Jesus, was, Jesus wasn't talking about the base of the temple. He was just talking about the bricks of the temple or whatever. And it makes, what it, does, it makes a fool out of Christ. I mean, it hands evidence over to naysayers unnecessarily. Now, you know, when you don't, when you go by what your eyes see rather than what Scripture says. So when we follow what Scripture says, and Bob Cornuke and Ernest L. Martin and Ken Klein is another, they, they lead you through all the evidence and present a very compelling case for why the Temple Mount is not visible. It is in the old city of David, and uh, which is under current excavation, has been for several years. They have found uh, evidence of uh, sacrifice prep areas. It's where the Gihon Springs resides fresh flowing water. It is perfectly made, uh, you know, by nature, by God. It, it, is in the, it is in the exact location where the temple would have needed to be. Everything is there. And it's very exciting. I invite you to search for the Temple Mount, Bob Cornuke, C-O-R-N-U-K-E, Ernest L. Martin, E-R-N-E-S-T-L, and Martin, M-A-R-T-I-N, Ken Klein, K-L-E-I-N. Search on those names or look for Koinonia, Koinonia Institute and Bob Cornuke, and it's about a 30 to 30 to 45 minute video. Fascinating. Your heart is going to leap when you see this, and you will see uh, there's one extended version where it explains why the stones were turned and there would be not one left on another. And it, it just makes all the pieces come together because the temple was filled with gold or, or many things were plated with gold and they burned the temple when it was destroyed last, the last time the last temple was destroyed, it was burned 
and gold melts and seeps into the ground. And so those doing that, uh, bringing that destruction literally turned every stone in order to pull that gold out of the soil. It makes perfect sense. It's as if they plowed the place. So, and of course now centuries, civilization building on top of it. Now I believe it's just a residential neighborhood that they are in the middle of excavating and finding incredible evidence there. So that's fascinating. I encourage you to go check that out. He also presents the, it solved the, solves the problem of the missing fort, the Roman fort Antonia. And when you see the evidence, you're going to go crazy because it is because it is so fascinating. It fits perfectly. It solves all of the answers or answers all of the uh, questions, solves all the problems and the invalid logic. And most of all, it does not present Christ as a fool with tons and tons and tons of stone that people walk on every day and they call the Temple Mount and people pray to the wall of it. So for those of you who have not seen it or unwilling to face the truth, you know, you're up against your own tradition there because the facts of Scripture are not on your side and neither are the facts of history once you see what those guys dig out. So moving forward, another item. Again, I called this episode, Where Are We Now?, Right now, for me, I've examined all the scriptural viewpoint of the rapture and what each case brings, pre, post, mid, pre-wrath, and none fits better right now. And I think scripture easily supports this until we get more light. That's my qualifier. And that's the pre-wrath rapture. And I know there are so many people that are pre-tribbers. My family is full of pre-trib proponents, and there's just so many assumptions in so many cases that are used as building blocks to build one truth, and that's in quotes, on another. There's just no scripture there supporting it, and it all hinges on we are not appointed under wrath. That's one, that's one uh, assumption taken out of context. We are not, assum- we are not appointed unto wrath, or God's children aren't, appointed unto wrath. And the other is the fallacy statement of the seven-year tribulation. And it says nowhere that the tribulation is seven years. It is referred to as the 70th week of Daniel. And when you look at the scripture and actually read them, the tribulation is called the Great Tribulation, And it is from the midpoint to some undetermined ending before the end of the 70th week. But for the sake of the elect, it was cut short. So just because it starts at the midpoint doesn't mean that it goes on forever or till the end of the age or end of the week, whatever. It starts at the abomination of desolation and it's cut short because if it wasn't, according to the writer or Christ himself, if it wasn't cut short, no flesh would be left. I'm assuming. Now, how to, that's pretty extreme. I don't know if that is referring to believers or, or all flesh, as if this is 
this uh, is taking on everyone or taking out everyone eventually. It's Revelation that describes where the dragon goes after Israel, can't get it, so it goes after its child, which is taken to be the church and starts the persecution there and and then it's cut short. So uh, we don't know what that time frame is. There's been a lot of great uh, speculation that is backed on. The speculation is created from Scripture, but we just don't know, and there's no way to know based on a pattern or foreshadowing in the Old Testament. So I'm just throwing that out there. You absolutely owe it to yourself to search on YouTube the pre-wrath rapture. It's also called sixth seal rapture another selling point on this that the 70th week isn't the tribulation uh, or god's wrath is the fifth seal has a multitude of christians who are slain and i know that gets just that denial is handled with you know yeah well those are all end time saints i mean so are they exempt from God? Are they? Would they not still be exempt from God's wrath? Would they not? Would any believer not be exempt from God's wrath when He pours it out? Is our God that that spiteful that oh <clears throat> we're in the seventieth week and you didn't receive me before then, so I'm going to treat you just like everybody else, just like the unbeliever? We know that's not the case. I've never heard of anyone who who was describing an encounter with God where he spoke to their heart. He didn't speak with uh, gentility, kindness, a sense of overwhelming love. It was never in condemnation, never in condemnation, no matter what the circumstance of that person, no matter how filthy their their circumstances were or the condition of their heart. I've yet to meet anybody who presented a credible experience with God where he wasn't loving, kind, forgiving, providing, saving, redeeming. Are you you bring in your own words. You know that's true. You know it's true. So so if a multitude is martyred and the 70th week, if God's wrath begins at the 70th week, what are you going to do with that? That is a huge problem. Well, let me tell you, it isn't a problem when you when you really dig in and you see what those seals represent. And that's why they call the pre-wrath position the sixth seal rapture. It's uh, the biggest evidence for it is in Second Thessalonians 2, where you see the sixth seal is in Joel 2 or 3. It is this, it's two sides of the same coin being the rapture and the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord initiates his wrath. And I don't see how... Anybody refutes that. You can refute the timing of it, but I don't see how anybody could refute that those are the same event, the rapture and the initiation 
of the day of the Lord. This is one of the hardest sells for someone who previously believed one position to move to another. I have to encourage you to go watch a video, read the scripture for yourself, confirm what the people are saying on both sides, and see who looks to be more credible. Because to me, there is no other position that is built on on scripture that is clearly explained and not twisted other than the it's the pre-wrath rapture that sits squarely with that manipulation until we get more light till we get more light that's where we are i'll close with this there's a there's a really good there's a lot of great content out there provided by people that i don't agree with their conclusions but they bring a wealth of information and research in a lot of it's about mystery babylon we look at the same evidence and research on the same table and they conclude rome mecca new york city london let me tell you when you look at the scripture there it's indisputable it is jerusalem not as we see it today but in the future the, the evidence, scriptural evidence, it this is about as plain as it can be in any of these things, any of these items that might be up for debate. But Mystery Babylon, there's no doubting it. It is Jerusalem. And I know that's offensive to some, many, I don't know. All these other theories require knowledge of history that's outside of the Bible. It's outside of most books. You got to dig on the internet and scratch and claw and scrape. And you see, you know, the Jesuits did this or that. And the 12th Pope did something to, you know, who knows who. And, you know, in that context, it all sounds reasonable until you step back and you go, how in the world would anybody studying the Bible know this? It's impossible. But when you stay within the scripture and what we know about the history of Israel, it is, Mystery Babylon is Jerusalem. In fact, all the merchants and all the merchandise that they are selling to Mystery Babylon that that all the nations of the world benefit greatly from economically, that material is all temple material. It's what goes into the daily sacrifice and all the things regarding the building of the temple, the implements, the gold, silver, and the spices and all that stuff. I mean, it's ludicrous that it would lead anywhere else except Jerusalem, you know, where the prophets were slain and where our our Lord was crucified. I mean, how do you get around that one phrase, where our Lord was crucified? It's Jerusalem. And some people still refuse that truth. That's how hard-headed they are. I don't want to be that hard-headed. When I see light in the scripture, I'm going there no matter what, no matter what doctrine. So, But again, it's more than one scripture. I'm trying to present a dragnet full of scripture so that we've got the best picture going forward. I apologize for yelling at you. My voice is raised. This really gets my heart beating. I'm very passionate about 
getting to the bottom of what we can get to the bottom of at any point in time. I've said enough. Stay tuned for the next one. Observations and questions for you to ponder. Have a great week. Talk to you later.